From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. When Anglican priest Graham Lawrence was found guilty of child sex abuse, his victim, Ben Jiggins, made the unusual decision to request that the court name him. Anne Mann on the case that convicted a key figure in the Newcastle clergy. A warning, this episode contains detailed descriptions of sexual assault. Good evening. He was one of the highest ranking members of the Anglican Church in Newcastle. But former Dean Graham Lawrence is now facing child sex charges. Lawrence was arrested this morning by strike force Arinia detectives at his Newcastle home and taken to nearby Waratah Police Station. There, he was formally charged with four counts of aggravated sexual assault and one of aggravated indecent assault. Police claim the alleged offences were committed upon a 15-year-old boy in 1991 in the New South Wales Hunter Valley. And the thing I wanted to start with was July 26 this year. What is it that Ben Jiggins did on that day? Well, he sat in court uh, with the rest of the people who had been attending the trial and he heard that the person he'd accused of aggravated sexual assault and aggravated indecent assault was convicted, that he'd been found guilty by Judge Tim Gautelman, SC. Um, So it was an extraordinary day for him. Anne Mann is a writer. She covered this case in the latest issue of The Monthly. So the second thing that happened on the 26th of July was that Ben Jiggins decided that he would have his name used rather than be kept private because I think it was a way of overturning all the years of secrecy and it was a way of taking back the power. And who is Ben Jiggins? Who is he as a person? Ben Jiggins is someone who's extremely straightforward, shy, very scrupulously honest about his evidence, someone who was shattered uh, by that crime and was really only encouraged to come forward by the great cultural shift that uh, was represented by the Royal Commission. That is that after the Royal Commission, which ran over five years, and especially the case in Newcastle for Ben, where he was living, encouraged people to understand exactly what had happened to them, that they were part of a regime where child sexual abuse had gone on to the most horrific degree. And tell me how... Ben Jiggins came to be in that courtroom where Lawrence was found guilty. Well, the crime had happened in 1991. So in 2016, the Royal Commission came to Newcastle and one of the people who was clearly an absolutely central figure in the cover-up and as a perpetrator uh, was Graham Lawrence. So Ben Jiggins by this point is also a father and he decided to start disclosing He first disclosed to his wife, to his mother um, and to various friends. And he then went to the police. They investigated for a year uh, and then the trial was held over the month of June and then the judgment was on the 26th of July. And who is Graham Lawrence? The city of Newcastle and the churches of the Hunter welcome you to this cathedral church. And we hope that this act of worship will encourage you 
and the community at large as we seek to rebuild and recreate our shattered lives. He was originally one of the most influential people in the Anglican Church. He rose up through the ranks to the very senior rank of Dean of the Cathedral. Lord, you alone are the source of life. May your life-giving spirit flow through us. He was more even than that in that many people thought that he was more powerful than the bishops who were technically above him. And it was clear from the testimony before the Royal Commission that they often had deferred to him or been influenced by him. He was a freeman of the city and he'd received an order of Australia and he even got a Citizen of the Year award. He was uh, very charismatic, quite tall. He had a very confident polished way of speaking, which gave the aura of authority. He used to be quite a formidable figure to other churchmen. He used to frighten them in many ways. Uh, He was a bully and he had a huge following. So people loved Graham Lawrence. They loved him so much that when the victims of Lawrence started coming forward and saying what had happened, they refused to believe it. And in fact, there was a huge amount of pushback against any efforts that were made by bishops to clean up the act in Newcastle and to expose what had been going on. And I realised that there will be people in Newcastle who will be extraordinarily angry with me. Um, There will other be people, of course, who will be very supportive. But unfortunately, um, this has happened and uh, the processes must be followed and people must realise that the church has to be a safe place. Seeing the supporters in the court case, even at this point, uh, was extraordinary, but actually important to understand what it is that they are holding on to. What is that, do you think? Uh, It's that their world is uh, completely ruptured uh, if... It is true. This is someone they've believed in. It's someone who they've worshipped in a way. It's someone who has um, convinced them of his rectitude uh, that they've depended upon in some psychological way. So the people who come forward then seem to them like vandals in the house of God. They're wreckers, human wreckers. Was the Anglican Church aware of abuse committed by Lawrence prior to Ben Jiggins bringing his case? Uh, yes, there were complaints, but it was never followed up. A uh, teenager called CKH in the Royal Commission. He'd begun as a 14-year-old being abused by one priest and in his statement to the Royal Commission, CKH said that he was certain that Graham Lawrence knew about it. And rather than report it to the higher Anglican authorities, or perhaps most importantly, reported to the police, he actually took it as an opportunity to sexually abuse the teenager himself. Lawrence denied any wrongdoing at the Royal Commission, just a stonewall kind of denial. But the key point CKH said at the Royal Commission was that they had decided, these much older men, to kind of take over his sexual development. Uh, He was a very powerful um, and eloquent uh, speaker. I think he gave one of the best descriptions of grooming that I've heard in listening to the entire Royal Commission. You could see how subtle and insidious each move was. And you've been covering a number of these cases in Newcastle. There's a relative concentration of them there. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think uh, a couple of things. I think it's very similar to Ballarat uh, in that there's a strong class element. The boys who were abused were often um, working class kids and they often didn't have the families when they were abused by articulate middle class priests. Um, They didn't have the, the wealth, the kinds of educated families to be able to take up the case and really fight it. And why do you think this kind of abuse happens? Well, that's really the great mystery. We'll be right back. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy. I'm yeah, yeah, if, that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And you've been following stories of child sex abuse within the Newcastle Anglican Diocese. What happened to Ben Jiggins specifically? What happened in his case? At some point in 1991, Ben Jiggins wasn't entirely clear on the date. He had gone to the cathedral because he was involved in a youth band and the youth band did various gigs around Newcastle. His mother drove him to the cathedral and was sitting, waiting while he helped to set up all the speakers and the, uh, do the sound and the lights. The then dean, Graham Lawrence, came up to him and asked him to come for a little walk and showed him some of the artefacts and photographs in the cathedral and then said, would you like to come back later to the deanery where some other youth are gathering? And Ben went and asked his mother. He was 15 at the time. And so he asked her permission. She said, fine. She thought that the dean was a very important figure in the diocese, and she thought it would be safe because there are other youth there. So they went to the deanery. When he opened the door, the place was empty, so Ben felt the first fear. Then he was taken down a couple of corridors and they went into a smallish room. He saw a chair and a a bed and a a wardrobe. Um, He was quite detailed. Then Lawrence gestured to some pictures on the wall. There was pictures uh, of naked boys. He said, do you like them? And Ben said, no. And then Lawrence came behind Ben Jiggins and pushed up his T-shirt over his head so that he was immobilised effectively with his arms and couldn't see. We were going to move through this section in a little less detail. And why do you do that? Um, I suppose we have to make a choice about how much of this we think people need to hear. Mm. Yes. 
this is sort of arguable, but the reason I write is partly to give a very precise sense of the horror of the crime. So if I say aggravated sexual assault, it doesn't sound great, but you don't really know exactly what's happened. I think it's really important that, really important for the survivors of sexual, um, child sexual abuse, that we don't shy away from knowing the, the detail and the specifics. I thought it was something that the Royal Commission did really well because instead of hearing sort of rather vague terms, um, you hear exactly what happened and then you feel the full horror of it. So what did happen in the deanery that day? Uh, Graham Lawrence pushed him onto all fours and then he first fondled him and said, do you like that? Ben said no. He told him to stop very clearly. Um, and then Ben was trying to inch away, but he uh, raped him. So he penetrated him, uh, anal rape, and then um, Ben at a certain point was able to inch forward enough to get up and push his T-shirt back and uh, rush away, at which point Dean Lawrence said, you know, don't think you can say what happened here because no one will believe you, I'm the Dean. Jiggins was frightened that if he disclosed to anyone, they wouldn't believe him, and if he disclosed to the band that he would be ostracised. And that's actually, I think, a very common fear among survivors. You were in court during Lawrence's trial. What was Graham Lawrence like throughout that? He came across as a really arrogant man. Uh, He was very big-noting. So, for example, there was a question about the pictures of naked boys on the wall and he claimed that there were no such pictures and he would name drop. So he said, how could I have such pictures when I entertained the governor, the governor-general, Prime Minister John Howard and so on? So there was a lot of appealing, even his physical gestures as he looked to the judge, as if to say we are of the same kind of status. So he constantly referenced sense of of self-importance, grandiosity. His most favourite adjective was great, the great traditions of the cathedral, the great music, the great church music. Everything was prefaced by the adjective great. He was trying to give a sense that this lowly suburban youth band would never have been at the cathedral when clearly, according to the church records, it actually had played there. He was also very capable of dissembling. One of the key points of the defence was the 1989 earthquake had prevented Lawrence from even being in the deanery. He was no longer living there because the damage was so great, the defence said, that he, he had moved. And he did actually move at a certain point. However, it was not clear that this crime did not occur when uh, whether he was living there. And indeed, as Judge Gartelman said, an empty deanery provides the ideal opportunity for a sexual assault to take place. Lawrence wildly exaggerated the damage done to the deanery. At one point he flung his arms open about a metre, saying that was how wide the gaps were in the walls, and yet he was also claiming that he lived there for a year and a half, which was (laughs) highly unlikely. So there was an element of um, hyperbole, of exaggeration, and that was, I think, how he not only appeared to me, but clearly how he appeared to the judge. How did Justice Geidelman describe Lawrence's evidence in his final judgment? Not credible inconsistent, defiant, so that as soon as Lawrence was challenged, I gather from the summary of uh, Gartelman that when Jiggins was challenged, he admitted where he did or didn't know the answer, as did his mother, 
So they said what they remembered, but not more than that. Whereas Lawrence was clearly trying to concoct a case. So he would embellish or was always self-interested in what he said. It was quite uh, telling when Judge Gartleman summed up the case that he described Ben as calm, shy and quiet so that the flamboyance of Lawrence, the the constant attempt at seeming authoritative was much less credible than someone who just came along and in a very straightforward way told what he remembered. Uh, the judge noticed when Ben Jiggins gave evidence, apparently he made unconscious gestures as to what happened physically, so he was remembering as he spoke. How did Newcastle respond to the conviction? There was great relief. There was a relief amongst other survivors. The mayor immediately came out and said that he would be stripped of his honours. He's still waiting for the Order of Australia to be removed. Graham Lawrence was someone who had held such sway over the city of Newcastle and there'd been such ugliness in the exposure of him as a perpetrator um, and so much resistance to it. It was partly about protection of the church, but as we've seen, it was partly about protection of his uh, life practices. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news. In the United States, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has commenced a formal inquiry into allegations President Donald Trump sought foreign assistance to damage a political rival. The inquiry is the first step towards impeachment. And in the UK, the Supreme Court has ruled that the advice given by Prime Minister Boris Johnson to the Queen to suspend Parliament was unlawful, void and of no effect. 7am is hosted by Elizabeth Coolis. The show is produced by Emil Klein, Ruby Schwartz and Atticus Basto with Michelle Macklem. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm the show's editor, Eric Jensen. We don't have an episode tomorrow owing to a public holiday in Victoria, but 7am will be back on Monday. So see you then.